Barrett. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And this is our podcast, Pod Me If You Can. And uh, it's a discussion between two friends about films that we've watched and we wanted to discuss with one another. We usually sit down and have a chat about most films we see. Mm-hmm. So uh, we thought, why not try this as a podcast? Um, we do tend to discuss films at some length, and this probably will be full of spoilers. Um, we're definitely going to discuss the ending of this film. And if you haven't seen the film, we just wanted to warn you that it's going to be fairly spoiler-heavy, and uh, you might want to watch the film before listening to the rest of this podcast. So today's film is The Tree of Life, shot uh, released in 2011, directed by Terence Malick, who's also made The Thin Red Line and The New World, and it stars Brad Pitt, Sean Penn, and Jessica Chastain. And um, the story centres around a family with three boys in the 1950s. Their eldest son witnesses the loss of innocence. That's taken from IMDb. So the story is set in Waco, Texas in the 1950s and follows a father, mother, and three brothers through the eyes of the eldest boy, Jack. Terence Malick was also one of three brothers, and he lived as a boy in Waco. And one of the brothers in the film dies at 19 under mysterious circumstances. And Malik's brother, Lawrence, is said to have taken his own life around the same age. So this is one of Terence Malick's most personal films to date. It was made for $32 million, but grossed just $13 million. So Lloyd, what did you think? Well, I actually didn't know about Terence Malick uh, losing his brother or any relation to his own family background until um, just then. That's that's pretty interesting mm. to just discover that. Um does it change what you thought? Or? Yeah, like, uh, that actually puts a whole new perspective. Like, obviously, the passion that Terence Malick has for the story is throughout the whole film. It is stretched out to the hilt. Every frame, he's just absorbed on screen. Like, he really wants you to soak in every single part of the 1950s. Like, every detail in that house, the environment. He, he oh, you know, he just went nuts. And you could tell the actors have so much faith um, in his directing. Yeah. They, they just pour everything into it. He, he gets guys like Brad Pitt, Sean Penn's in it. Mm-hmm. And gosh knows what Sean Penn's doing from the start to the end, you know. Um, but I, I thought it was amazing. I, I was really blown away with this film. Um, I've, I've been a big fan of Terrence Malick. I've seen all his films from Badlands, Days of Heaven, um, and then he disappeared for ages and came back and did Thin Red Line, and he had a huge cast, a very respectable cast, that did whatever he said. Yeah, it was a 20-year break. Yeah, 20-year break, and he comes back, bam, with Thin Red Line, which yeah. I think has the best war scene ever filmed. Um, and then he um, does, uh, what's that film with Colin Farrell? I think the it's New The World. New World, The Brave yeah. New World. No, The New the World. New World. And it was amazing. I thought one of the best films of the last 10 years. And then he comes out with this. Some say his magnus opus, his masterpiece and everything. Um, I was blown away up until the last 10 minutes. I thought he went a bit too far. I, I still don't know exactly what's going on throughout the whole film. Yeah. I'm, I'm terrible with plot, as you know. I, I usually just go away with the emotion of it. Um, and I felt, you know, so, um, I, I guess, just blown away. I didn't know what to think. And that in itself was an emotion, you know, mm. that he got out of me and I saw it with a very respectful audience I had to get to the go to the bathroom like several times because it was so damn long but you know it was was good Um, I I think uh, Terrence Malick is Kubrick I think he's Andre Tarkovsky all rolled into one I was I was really impressed I was was really impressed yeah there's no question the cinematography is amazing and the music instead of dialogue all yeah, sort of like reminded you of 2001, A mm. Space Odyssey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, massive yeah. amounts of just score over yeah. beautiful images. Yeah. Um, my mum watched this film yeah. and said that it was the worst piece of <laughs> cinema she's ever seen. Ever seen, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she just struggled to sit through it. Yeah. I think she would have enjoyed seeing it on uh, DVD and yeah. sitting there saying, yeah. um, talking to people about it as it went on. Yeah. Because as she watched it without a strong narrative, yeah jumps all over the place and I can completely Does she watch movies that. like that regularly or? Yeah, she um, she often goes to the cinemas um, just but sits those through house... fairly epic films. Oh, okay, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think she's seen The Fountain which is something this can be compared to sure, quite sure. a bit. Yeah. Um, but I think she's going to see Melancholia which might yeah. have some similar stuff. Yeah. Um, so just great acting I yeah. thought first of all. Yeah. Um, but I did wonder whether or not this is the film that Brad Pitt thought it's going to win me an Oscar. Oh, yeah. Like, 
I think uh, I think on the DVDs there was all this praise from Christopher Nolan, from yeah. David Fincher, and when you got those guys talking up Terrence Malick, you know, any star will put up their hand. They're really thinking they're making like this is the Kubrick of our time. Yeah, I'll get on board. I'll do whatever you say, and hopefully I'll you know this is my posterity. You know, I'll be remembered forever, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. The next film he's doing, just to sidetrack for a second, has yeah. Ben Affleck in it oh, yeah. and right. Rachel McAdams. He's doing another film already. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to take 30 years off. <laughs> no, surprisingly not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on Brad Pitt for a second. Yep. I thought, um, so he's been making a lot of films lately that yep. seem to be ticking all the Oscar bo- boxes, you know, um, for, sort of for that Oscar glory. Yeah. I wonder if sort of, because Angelina Jolie has an Oscar for Girl Interrupted. Oh, there's a bit of that, trying yeah. To, um, make his own mark, because I think... You know, obviously he's already reached immortality in yeah. terms of cinema, but it's just like that's the kind of final step. I think um, him, there's a sort of trio, or maybe it's bigger than that. It's George Clooney, Brad Pitt, and um, the director Sodenberg. And they always seem to mix so well. They bounce, jump in and out of mainstream and art house, and they do it so well. Like a lot of people, you know, have you know, negative opinions of this, but I think they transition really well. Like, you got Ocean's 11, 12, 13, and then you got um, the German, the good German, um, and then, you know, all of other Sodenberg's, you know, um, Che, I think he did. And then you got um, George Clooney's getting into directing, and then I think Brad Pitt is like, hold on, I've got Terrence Malick here. Yeah, I don't think he's ever put his hand up for directing. No. Uh, I think he's a phenomenal actor, absolutely phenomenal. I think, yeah, you're right, he's definitely going for that. Yeah. Um, so has he won an Oscar? Or? No, he's, he's, won, a, he's won a Golden Globe right. for 12 Monkeys. Yeah. And then he missed out on the Oscar. Yeah. And he's been nominated for, um, well, Benjamin Button. Yeah. Um, but he's also had recently the assassination of Jesse James. People thought he would get it for. Yeah. Currently, there's Oscar buzz for Moneyball. Is there any Oscar buzz for this film? None at all. Yeah, there is. There, there is. is. Okay. Yeah. Sure. And yeah. people think Best Picture. They also think yeah. possibility for Best Actor. Yeah. And, and yeah. I tend to agree. Yeah. I'm starting to think um, this one they'll give it to Brad Pitt because yeah. when I sort of read his acting performance, I found that it really reminded me of when Heath Ledger was in Brokeback Mountain. It was really oh, right. restrained. Yeah. That's and a you could see it on his yeah. face, like uh, there was constantly kind of this furrowed yeah. inner repression and stuff yeah. going on. And it really, uh, like, I kind of immediately linked the two. And I was surprised to learn that Heath Ledger was actually considered for that role. Really? Yeah, wow. Yeah, as well. Wow, okay. There was a couple of other people considered. Yeah. Um, one was Colin Farrell, and I think that was mostly because of the link with the New World. He'd recently yeah. worked with Terrence Malick, yeah. and he basically, you know familiar face did they have a falling out or no? I have no, no idea no idea sure yeah. no. and the other one also kind of controversial and maybe this is why it didn't work out was Mel Gibson <laughs> Mel Gibson was considered for the he actually would have done a great job I think maybe he's a little old but... yeah yeah and, and the stigma that comes with him now yeah. you're like already the film is in you know you're not going to make a lot of money in return I think the producers knew that um, like what, thirteen million? It costs yeah. thirty million dollars. Yeah. yeah, they're not going to get that back. <laughs> well, but in DVD sales, perhaps, yes, because yeah, no, I feel like right. this yeah. is going to make it's find its own audience and it will live on. That's yeah. one of the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'll probably be studied in cinema. Yeah, you know, um, in courses and things like that. It's yep. just that I feel like it wasn't made at all for a commercial audience. Yeah, I feel like this is the kind of film that was more of an art film sure. and dressed up as a mainstream film because it has Brad Pitt and Sean Penn. And yep. Sean Penn's hardly in it. Yeah, I know. Oh, speaking of Sean Penn, um, oh my gosh. Uh, I guess, you know, speaking of mixed reviews and everything, a lot of people had their own negative opinion. And um, uh, unfortunately for Terrence Malick, one of these came from Sean Penn himself. And he was in the film, he read the script, he fell in love with it. And this is what he had to say. I didn't at all find on the screen the emotion of the script, which is the most magnificent one that I've ever read. A clearer and more conventional narrative would have helped the film without, in my opinion, lessening its beauty and its impact. Frankly, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing there and what I was supposed to add in that context. What's more, Terry himself never managed to explain it to me clearly. Oh my gosh. Now that's a slap in the flat face. Like, I've read a lot of comments post that and people were saying, look, we understand it. We walked away with an opinion. And a lot of people have that. But for the star of yeah. your film, and especially someone as intelligent and as talented as um, Sean Penn. His opinion carries a lot of weight. Oh my gosh. And I felt, you know, I feel some of that is true. Because at the end, I thought it was too stretched out. And I was just like, oh, what's going on here? But 
the emotion was still carrying through, I guess. Uh, yeah. It's funny, the bit that was stretched out actually yeah. had Sean Penn. Yeah. So, <laughs> maybe he thought that bit should have been Did cut. he even speak in the film? At the film? Yeah. Like, in the film, did he have any dialogue? Or? He did. There was, there was at least one bit, bit where he was in the elevator and it was going up. Oh, that's and right. And he's standing yeah. there on the phone he's and he's talking phone, yeah. and he's saying, Dad, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, it was... Um, stupid of me to say or whatever he says you know i shouldn't have said it i was just feeling bad you know i do miss him every day yeah and there's also the bit at the beginning a little bit of narration sure he voice over and says that he was 19 his brother when he died that was his voice that was his voice okay sure yeah when he lights the candle at the beginning yeah in the the emptiest house in the world he's just like he's an architect he's designed this beautiful house he's Mm. made something of himself but basically just like the woman doesn't talk to him She's just walking around the house. They're walking in different directions. They're kind of in mourning because it's 19 years on. And basically it was just kind of this hollow existence. Yeah. He seemed kind of depressed. Yeah. Just, just reminiscing about his childhood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I was thinking maybe at age 28, we're not supposed to get this. <laughs> oh, I yeah. As you, as you mature and get older, more meanings will open up and stuff. Well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking... Um, you know, those who've lost a child and those who basically have been through this kind of time period yes. and, and this kind of upbringing will probably immediately relate. And for the deep thinkers, like, it seems to delve into the beginning of time and really pushes that, you know, the spiritual, the um, physical and the emotional especially all rolled into one. That, that's what's so brave about this film. Like, he just he's just willing to go into all those aspects. Well, let's talk about that then. <laughs> um, all the other aspects. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to say the bit where it jumps back to the Big Bang, seemingly in the beginning of time, yeah. and everybody kind of evolving and the cells and everything flying at the screen, I thought to myself that this was kind of like a serious version of when adaptation goes back to the beginning of time. Yes. The film yeah. with Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. And basically, kind of, he does it more as a joke to get to where he is right now. Yeah, yeah. And within the context of that film, it really works well. We don't get an explanation so much in this film. It just delves right in. All yeah. of a sudden, you're with this family in the 50s, and you're at the beginning of time. And then you're introduced to dinosaurs. A lot of people, you know, reacted against that. I, I, was, I was blown away. I was like, where am I? And when the dinosaur walks over, he puts his foot on his face. Like, I, I don't know if it's the beginning of empathy or something he's trying to say there, but I didn't understand. I don't think anyone really understood it. But it was amazing. Like, that use of dinosaurs. It wasn't like, here, here we go, here's dinosaurs. You know, it was just so he was like we're in this age of dinosaurs and then the progression of time was handled magnificently I started to wonder if um, what the dinosaurs represented and and obviously a lot of people probably have and um, I wondered if one playing dead and then the other one not killing it if it wasn't showing us two sides of a coin and what we're both capable of Yes. in terms of um, like Brad Pitt put his character you know in terms of the dinosaur and um it's saying that sort of all creatures are capable of, uh, you know, the violent natural tendencies yes. of, and the aggression of survival yep. of the fittest, as well as um, compassion and, you know, letting the other dinosaur live, basically. And no dialogue. You got all that from no dialogue, mm. just from that one... The use of dinosaurs, compare that to, say, Spielberg, who would have just went right for the gore, you know, and he's there completely, you know, taking this left turn when you're watching the film. And, yeah, if you can get all that from that one scene, that just goes to the credit of... And I agree with you. I think that's absolutely accurate. Mm. I think that's what you were supposed to get. But that Hopefully. just goes to the credit Otherwise, of the film. Otherwise, I'm not sure what we're yeah, yeah. <laughs> There were so many, you know, volcanoes and trees yes. and mountains and yeah. nature that yeah. it's overwhelming and it's for a long period of time. And as you say, as you get older, a lot of that will you know resonate with it you might not be able to verbalize it or understand it but there is something you know underneath that that is really connecting the spiritual aspect yeah sure um i was going to say do you think you can relate to the characters at all Uh, oh no not really i haven't been through that sort of trauma maybe i don't know and it's getting a bit very strange but the mother-son relationship i guess um, we'll go back to the very beginning of the film mm. um initially Jessica Chastain, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. Uh, she recalls a lesson taught to her that you must either follow the path of grace or the path of nature. Right. And then this quote comes from the film that basically spells out which side is grace and which side is nature. Yeah. Grace doesn't try to please itself, accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked, 
accepts insults and injuries. Which, as you know, yeah. heavily she accepts the reality she's in. Mm. She's insulted by Brad Pitt's character, who's on IMDb as Mr. O'Brien. They're Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't. I wasn't aware of their last name either. No, no. Nor were you aware of the children's name. No. Besides Jack. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. A huge, a huge detail that um, just gets left yeah. by the wayside. I feel like viewers again probably struggled because of the lack of detail yeah it's uh to open up a film like that in the way terence malick is british isn't he is, i'm not sure i think he's british and obviously he's making movies in america um for a film like that to open in the western world like um to ask these questions uh you know god maybe um yeah living your life the moral code and all that for for that kind of audience, you know, you're asking a lot, you know, and to sit there for three hours, you know, um, my gosh. <laughs> well, it was two hours 18 or so. Yeah, I yeah. Thought, but I've recently learned that there was a first cut that was eight hours. Oh, good gosh. And that there's going to be a director's cut, seemingly, that's six hours. Right, yeah. The, Do you think you're going to watch that? Or? Uh, that's asking a lot. I, I would probably watch, like, uh, David Lynch has a similar film with uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, that there's a uh, supposed four-hour cut of that, and I'd probably love to delve into that. I've watched Inland Empire. I'll say yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see an eight-hour cut of... Oh, six-hour cut, sorry, of um, Tree of Life. I'll probably go into that. It's got to be one of those nights um, where you're in the mood for it. You can pause it with now with DVDs and watching your home theater and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Just to finish off this quote, nature only wants to please itself, get others to please it too, likes to lord it over them, to have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it and love is smiling through all things. So I completely read this as that's Mr. O'Brien. Yeah, it's a voiceover wow. from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jessica Chastain says yeah. the exact quote about um, the difference between grace and nature. Yeah. And um, Brad Pitt's character, obviously very glass half empty. Everything around him, he's got kids, he's got a house. And he's so aggressive. Yeah, he's yeah. aggressive and repressing things because it's not good enough for him in yeah. his opinion. And when, at the beginning of the film, we learn that his son has died at age 19 unsure of which one it is at this stage you know it's confusing we don't know which one Sean yep. Penn is um basically we we hear him say I felt I made him feel shame you know I, I made him feel terrible and he's regretting his choices yeah. as a father yeah and at that point you're thinking well you know like you've got all this stuff I mean you're not in a third world you know you he gets laid off at one point in the film. But... He never s- s- settles down and appreciates what he's got. He's always, you know, he's that guy who, who's the star who never made it and his frustration's taken out and his kids and all the rest of it, yeah. yeah. yeah he, definitely. At one point, he's talking about how he's um, a failed musician yeah. and that he's obviously an engineer now. And um, he talks about how he has 27 patents and he's really just looking for kind of that leg up in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's discussing with one of the neighbours. He looks happy. Like, for one of the few moments in the film where he's talking to a neighbour, and that neighbour owns half the town, and that's why he's so happy to talk to him, you know? Because he's Cause... one of those, the elitist sort of thing, yeah. And whereas uh, wife, I guess, the, is just appreciative of everything that's around her, and more, much mm. more to nature and, and all She's carrying a butterfly at one yeah. point. She's very kind of hippie and free-flowing. Yeah. Do you remember the moment where she's hovering? Yeah. Oh, that that's very Tarkovsky like. Uh Tarkovsky. Do you want to talk about that? Um I don't know exactly what it means, but with the way the film um was going and where Terence Malick was taking you to insert that moment where all of it, it it's a quick shot um of her just floating um as if she's levitating in the air and flying and then it cuts out. And I remember I was seeing that with a friend. And he was like, what the hell? Like, he, he actually said that. And um, I felt it was right. Um, it, it, it didn't feel out of place to me because where Terence had built that uh, from, from the start to that point, I just felt right. And um, uh, Andrei Tarkovsky is probably the greatest Russian filmmaker of all time, inserted a lot of that. Like, um, it's a very deep, you know, um, uh, religious, philosophical movie, and then all of a sudden these moments appear and you just accept it. You don't stop the DVD, you don't go, oh, that's it, that's just getting too strange. It just seems to work. Um, what it means, I'm not entirely sure, but what I felt was, um, it just felt right. It just felt absolutely right. Well, um, I kind of interpreted a little bit the the whole flashback sequence 
of his childhood to be a memory sure. in a way. And um, all the rules of the physicality rules didn't necessarily sure. apply. Yeah. Um, basically, he saw his mother as this kind of perfect, you know, symbol of his childhood. Um, obviously, someone that couldn't contain the father and things like that. But I felt like all the things we were shown were maybe the strongest memories of his childhood, and that perhaps we saw, um, you know, everything that she did. Uh, and I mean, just the fact that she could fly, you know, obviously breaking all the rules yeah. of everything, but. Um, she, there was a moment where he comes home from being really bad and he's just been breaking house, uh, windows on houses and uh, breaks in and steals something and basically walks home and she's completely silent. She doesn't say, dinner's ready, where have you been? She has no dialogue. And he walks in, walks straight past her, goes in the house. She doesn't say anything. And I thought maybe he could remember that moment really clearly, but he couldn't remember her saying anything or if she did say anything. Yeah. And so therefore, maybe what we're seeing is kind of put together from Sean Penn's memories, you know, not Sean Penn, the character, he yeah, plays Jack, but yeah. um, that from the moment we see him in the elevator and we see him at work, he comes back, you know, through thinking about it, mm. and we see the whole story and obviously go back to him again. Is the whole thing one kind of dream sequence, I guess. That's right, yeah, yeah. And um, what, what he remembers, if it's accurate or not, is just bent mm. to that description of what uh terence is showing us you know that what he leaves out and what he leaves in definitely yeah um no it's sublime <laughs> do you think um well he says at one point i'm more like you than i am like her to brad pitt to his dad yeah and um she seems very kind of uh free-flowing and, and made natural and everything like that yeah um she's perhaps more like the little blonde younger brother. Yeah. They kind of share different traits of their parents. I was thinking, is this just the whole film to explain that we're all like our parents in some yeah. way? Yeah, yeah. You know, there was a little bit of dialogue, and I can't remember it exactly, but it's something like, um, mother, father, always you wrestle inside me, always you will. Yeah. It's his own voiceover as a little boy. Yeah. Saying that, you know, he has both elements from both his parents. He's, you know, just not sure which... It's going to kind of dominate. That's right. And that part at the end where she's like, I'm giving it back to you as we're all part of the together. Uh, you know, we're all part of the, the system in some way and we, we return to Earth and so forth like that. Yeah, um, definitely. And it has that um, going, that puberty um, evolving through those harsh, you know, uh, very vulnerable years. Um, and then it's still carried through to him now, you know, um, and all the rest of it. Yeah, no, completely. I was going to say there's a quote from the film where she says, uh, no one who loves the way of grace ever comes to a bad end. Mm. I will be true to you, whatever comes. And it's right at the beginning of the film. Mm. And it's when um, it shows some shots of her blonde son, the one we later presume turned 19 and killed himself or yeah. died under mysterious Was that the one with the, where the shot goes into the earth and the kid's buried into the... It, that was more towards the end. This is the beginning right. where she first gets the letter announcing that her yeah. son has died. And sort of thought that it has come to a bad end if he has yeah. known the way of grace. Has she failed? Has she chosen the wrong thing? Is she wrong? Those questions put forward at the very beginning. Well, I, I feel like maybe are they, they are. even answered? It's, it's kind of a, a big sort of contradiction because it says no one... Who loves the way of grace comes to a bad end. Yeah. Yet he's just come to a bad end. Mm. And presumably the blonde boy was more like her than the father. Yeah. Because all the scenes where uh, young Jack, um, later to be Sean Penn, um, where he's sort of playing with the BB gun and he shoots his brother's finger and, and everything like that, the little boy tolerates it in a similar way that the mother tolerates Brad Pitt. Yeah. So that's sort of what we what I'm drawing on anyway. Sure. To feel like um, he's chosen the way of grace, if you will, over mm. nature. Yeah. So I wondered if it if it was sort of foiled from the beginning, if what we were seeing that she'd chosen the path of grace, but obviously her son came to a bad end, and this obviously tore her apart. Yeah. And it's it, it, and it's implied at the end that that completely destroyed her, and then she's revived at the end spiritually, like as the as he's pulling her towards out the door and into the into that um, salt like thing that oh, thing towards the yeah, end yeah that um, pulling her out the door out of this life and into that yeah there's definitely that she did find it difficult to um, raise three boys yeah like uh, she seemed overwhelmed with that though because it wasn't something she was used to I guess 
Um, did you think Jessica Chastain was kind of like a cross between maybe Bryce Dallas Howard and Kate Blanchett? Um, I don't know the first actress. <laughs> um, yeah, the redhead in the village. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I can see that. Yeah, the very young one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought, well, Ron Howard's daughter. That's who right. That is. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought she she just kind of had elements of both of them. She was kind of a chameleon. Yeah, no, she was really well cast yeah. in the role. Yeah, she re- really played it all in her eyes. You just look at her and you know you're just like, wow. <laughs> I guess you kind of have to with so yeah. little dialogue. Oh, yeah. And I mean, as well, that probably helped Brad Pitt's performance because of how often he couldn't talk. Yeah. You know. Um, there were times at the dinner table where he was just a monster. Yeah. Wasn't it? I mean, Savage, and it wasn't comfortable to be there in the, in the same room as him. You just no. didn't know what he was capable of and what he was going to do to those kids. You're just like, geez, this guy's going to, you know. But it was great. Um, it was great. Oh, flies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we've got a fly in the room. I'm guessing people could probably hear that. Yeah, that's buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the mystery. Um, uh, I wouldn't... Pu- uh, Overall, in uh, Terence Malick's uh, body of work, um, it's definitely his most personal film. Like, hearing that just then, um, that he lost his brother and, you know, a lot of what you see in the film is probably very autobiographical and uh, very emotional um, to Terence Malick. Very, you know, psychologically accurate to his upbringing, I guess. Um, But he did go too far in places, but I have to hand it to Terence Malick, like, there's no other director willing to do that. I can't think of anyone willing to go to the beginning of time and just put up all these questions up there, whether he answers them, whether he's wrong, whether he's right. Um, you know, he's willing and he's brave enough to take these Hollywood great stars and throw them in this world and take the audience, you know, through three hours, or sorry, two and a half hours of the beginning and the end, and then, you know, you're not really sure exactly what's happening a lot of times. Um, there's no real three-act structure as the standard Hollywood thing is. Um, no, it's um, fantastic. But I'd still... Uh, my favorite, favorite Terrence Malick film, I just have to say, is probably The New World. I was such a big fan of that. And, um, and Badlands. Yeah. I've actually, <laughs> I've actually only seen The Thin Red Line, uh, The New World, and now um, this one, The Tree did of you, Life. Did you like those? I did. I really yeah. liked the, the Thin Red Line. Sure. Um, the new world I felt sort of went on a little bit yeah but you know I was sort of keen to um, and you can really see that style refined and he's just yeah yeah Um, I wanted to ask you about the other Terrence Malick films seeing as I hadn't uh, actually seen them Badlands and what else was that? Badlands Days of Heaven um, and then that's when he took off a long break till Thin Red Line (laughs) Days of Heaven wasn't the one that was a massive Turkey, was it? Like, no, that's uh, Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Everyone's Gate. Gate. Yeah, Michael Shimino. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. after The Deer Hunter, he did Heaven's yeah. Gate, didn't he? Anyway, so just discussing the other works of Terence Malick, which I haven't seen, I wanted to ask you whether or not voiceover is used in all of them. Uh, that's interesting, because from memory, Badlands, uh, it was based on a real story. I don't recall any voiceover in that. Days of Heaven started to have that. And that's renowned for its cinematography, these long shots of the farm, and it broke all the rules of cinematography, and Richard Gere was in that, you know, phenomenal performance. Um, and then, really, the style that you see in Tree of Life, um, like, in his whole body of work, where you see it start and refined, is really in Thin Red Line. And then it really went over the top with the voiceover and the, the open-ended shots and things like that. But no, he's... His first film, Badlands, that's more very, almost seemed very standard, um, if I can say that. Well, because yeah. I, I'm in Thin Red Line, the use of voiceover is tricky because it's it could be any one of their voices, yeah. and it makes it seem like, uh, and rightfully so, that any soldier is every soldier, and they're one big unit, and it's everybody's conscious, everybody's stream of consciousness, um, which I found really good. In in one uh, in this film, in The Tree of Life, I found it was really obvious who was speaking. Yeah. And I wondered if that was sort of lessened what they were saying, just because also, um, just to go back to adaptation, where they say, you know, you should never use voiceovers. Yeah, know, yeah. All that sort of stuff, just because, you know, we want to see, not be told what That's characters right, yeah. are feeling. Yeah. Uh, as you said, it was memory, and it was a point of view film. I didn't think he had that luxury of bouncing around, but he did do it with the father, and did Brad Pitt ever speak? 
A voiceover? Yeah. Yeah. He did. And the obviously the mum did um, several times. Yeah. Um, the little boy. Um, Sean Penn had some yeah. adult voiceovers as well. Right, yeah. Sort of everybody but the other two brothers whose yeah. names apparently were uh, something like RL, initials, R full stop, L full stop, and Steve. Which, obviously, that was never said in the film. I would remember somebody going, Steve, come yeah. in, you know. It's and it's sort of like a cheat, I guess, because as you say, it's always best to show it rather than um, rather than tell it so bluntly. But it, it works in that style. I don't think any film studies or film school can be applied to Terrence Malick's style. He's really mastered cinema and brought it in his own way, sort of thing, yeah. Well, let me quote something I read on the IMDb of The Tree of Life sure. in trivia. An, Ita- an Italian cinema played the first and second spools in the wrong order for two weeks. Right. And nobody said anything because they assumed that was the style of the film. Even though at the beginning of the second spool, where it would have been, you saw opening title tags <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. So is it is it worth having a style which nobody can identify? Because it played for two weeks and nobody noticed? Yeah. Uh, well, same can be said for Razorhead. Uh, no beginning, middle or end. Um, that could be played in any order. Maybe that works in its own strength. Like at least it's different to the standard. Have yeah. you have you seen Schizopolis? I have not. By uh, Steven so Soderbergh. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, see, that's three act structure where they basically repeat the three acts with slight variations. In one of them, nobody's speaking correctly. They right. they yell out things like um, lawnmower, and then the other guy, you know, will say your wife looks beautiful or something. You know, when she's not around. Right. Bizarre. Yeah. Um. I wonder if this belongs in the theatre of the bazaar. In, oh, in, yeah, yeah. You know, so should it have got a theatrical release because it only made $13 million? Um, I, I think it's necessary for the audience to explore different ways where cinema can go rather than the standard romantic comedy, romantic action film. At least these type of films like open up like new areas of thought, new areas of of how cinema can be experienced, you know. Um, definitely, like I, I don't want everything to be Transformers two or Transformers three, but it's a big ask to ask the modern viewer who's got you know the iPod, the iPhone, you know, and is connected with all kinds of media to sit there for two and a half hours in a film that's incredibly hard, incredibly difficult to follow and sit through. You know, if I was had this on DVD, I'd probably take like five sittings. You know, I wonder. Yeah. Basically, Brad Pitt was a producer. Yeah. And um, obviously, this film, at, someone could, at some point, could have said to Terrence Malick, we're putting it straight to DVD. And therefore, Brad Pitt wouldn't have been eligible for an Oscar nomination. Right. On a straight to DVD film. And his performance perhaps warrants one, but maybe even gives him the Oscar. Yeah. Could he have personally financed the whole film's distribution? Oh, definitely. Like, I know he financially could have. Yeah, yeah. But, like, that's a decision you might say, well, people need to see this film. Yeah. Maybe it'll be a surprise hit, you know? Yeah. No, and uh, seeing where Brad Pitt is coming from, like, he didn't he didn't do any of that, did he? But you're saying... I'm saying hypothetically. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe that's another reason to release it. Yeah. Only for award season. Sure, sure. You know? Yeah. It doesn't feel like it was made for a cinema audience. No. Even though the big sequences um all the nature and then the animals and so forth they were thinking of releasing something on imax wow okay just, just with that part right yeah yeah but i mean people have like the discovery channel and stuff they can sort of tune into nature anytime yeah you know um what are they going for in this experience you know that's an interesting question i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted to ask you do you recall the scene where um the son jack is in the attic it's like a weird attic style room And there's a very tall man in that room. And it was cut in with no context whatsoever in the middle of the film. Oh, vaguely. Yeah. It was haunting, wasn't it? Yeah, It was odd. Um, I found it didn't really add anything to the film. I read somebody, uh, I can't remember the source, online talking about it. And it was um, a discussion of that was a father figure to him. You know, because he didn't have one. He was the absence of a father figure. Okay, yeah. Perhaps the attic of his mind or something like that. Yeah. I found that really weird, and um, I felt like it was one of those things that could have been cut out. Yeah. And I would love to have seen a film, like a version of this film, straightforward narrative. Yeah, you You would? I I feel like that would be really interesting, and it probably wouldn't lose very much. Yeah. Imagine you cut out all of the sequences of nature. Right. Just take those away, just for hypothetical. The film would run closer to an hour and a half, let's say. 
you could still start and end it with um, the Big Bang and at the end, towards the end, which we'll discuss, the sort of freezing over of the Earth and the end of life and so forth. Mm. You start and end it with those two events. But in between, you have the birth of Jack, his brothers. Uh, you have everybody sort of growing up, the parenting style of Brad Pitt's character uh, with Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien, and uh, basically everything runs to a narrative, and then the moment they leave the house, you cut to Sean Penn in current adulthood and um, have him have that final scene where he walks through the, uh, what's it called, wooden door frame that's in the middle of the desert. Everything like that follows. Straight narrative. What do you think? Uh, I don't think it would be a Terrence Malick film. I think it would just be a standard um, father... Uh, grow, uh, you know, so, a boy grows up with bad parenting. Mummy didn't love him, sort of story. Um, but isn't it now a mummy didn't not mummy, daddy didn't daddy love didn't me. love him. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it now a daddy didn't love me with dinosaurs? It well, with it intact, yeah, um, definitely. And uh, it, but it wouldn't have that charm that uh, because the film, the strong point of the film, Tree of Life, it delves into those areas that we can't really explain or verbalize or we could attempt to but it takes you in that area without that i don't know it just seems like a very i hate to say it's standard film you know um i I think tree of life is that component and you can't take it away from it yeah so if terence malick had tragically passed away before the editing of this film had taken place and they he hadn't left any notes or anything to explain what he wanted to do Do you think someone could have put together this film? No way. No. If, let's say all the all the shots from uh, Discovery yeah. uh, Channel type stuff were taken later yeah. or added later. Right. And you only had the footage, the raw footage of the family unit. Sure. Wouldn't, wouldn't you have no choice but to put all that in, you know, sequential order? In that example, yes. Um, if, if I was a producer given that without Terrence Malick there, I would just make it as standard as humanly possible because I would not be understanding what he... Where's his voiceover supposed to go? (laughs) Yeah. I kind of think that the strength of their performances, Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien, and um, the the oldest boy does a good job as well. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Basically, all the strength of all the performances would still be there. Yeah. And I feel like the film would have been a greater commercial success. Yes, yeah. But, that being said... I feel like the weirdness of the film is what is going to make it kind of immortal. Yeah. Is what's going to make it study Absolutely in, agree. In it's courses. probably going to be up there with 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, it's, it is. It's got the same sort of comparisons yes. happening. I think the same person who did the special effects. I heard that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For 2001 did special effects for the kind of explosions and big bangs yep. and stuff for, um, for this film. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I have kind of a hypothetical for you. Yep. That I thought I would touch on. Now, obviously, in Brokeback Mountain, the character Heath Ledger plays is gay, or is certainly... I haven't actually seen it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. You can say that. I think the mic still picks that up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Regardless, um, he does have tendencies towards men. In this film, is the thing that Brad Pitt is repressing perhaps that he is gay? Uh, that could be that could be definitely in there. Um, those touches It's definitely not dwelt upon. It's definitely not centered. But there is that layer there. I, I noticed that myself, and that re- suppression is in part of him. But then I thought you could probably read that into a million <laughs> other movies. But no, definitely there there is that layer there. It's not dwelt upon. Um, it's definitely not surfaced. But there is this sort of implicit layer of um, frustration of his sexuality and all the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. He, um, he seemed unhappy most of the time and possibly because of the time he was in because yeah. if this was a modern man he would have been able to tell people his yeah. sexuality just saying, I mean and this is obviously a especially in the 50s, yeah, yeah yeah, this is an interpretation that's by no means you know, yeah. absolutely what they were going for but I thought that um, possibly, you know, the way he flirted with the waitress in front of the boys yeah. the way he um, made them fight and be so manly and uh, enforced so much control over them Perhaps either the control was forced upon him initially in his upbringing. Mm. And secondly, just sort of, he was overcompensating, you know, because he had to be super manly. I am not gay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, definitely. And also when you find out the son died at age 19, you don't really know the circumstances. Yeah. He says to his wife the stuff about, I made him feel shame and his regretting and so forth. 
is it possible that the sun, I mean, obviously anything's possible, we don't know, we yeah. don't have the missing pieces, but I kind of read that perhaps the shame that he made him feel was for his sexuality. Sexuality, yeah. I mean, you get to see the two boys, and obviously it's childhood innocence, but the two boys spending a lot of time together, arms around each other, you know, pressing hands against the glass for each other yeah. kind of thing. Growing up in a family of three boys, you know, just sort of running around with each other. The other thing is Jack, when he's in the classroom, sees the girl and uh, doesn't really know how to flirt with her or anything like that. And he sort of jokingly doesn't give her the test paper back to grade. And um, just sort of doesn't know how to, you know, connect with his feelings. Yeah, because of the example, probably, of, you know, Brad Pitt's character as his dad. Yeah, yeah, so straightforward, so military-like. And well, he was like in that. the military, Yeah, too, yeah, that's right, yeah. Which, you know, again, would have been difficult for him had his character been gay. Sure. Or at least, you know, bisexual. Mm. Um, we did see him early in the film with the sort of some of the happier times before the kids came along. He's lying on the, you know, picnic mat. They're sort of cuddling each other. He's fascinated by the birth, and he's obviously that iconic moment of holding the baby's foot and mm. just kind of the smile on his face. But beyond that, once the kids come along... There's very few happy moments yeah. for his character. And yeah. as I said before, I don't know if that's the way sort of the memories have fallen. Just on the negative. Yeah, that yeah. those are the strongest memories. Perhaps there were times where, you know, his father read him books and um, talked to him late at night, but he only remembers the mother doing it. Yeah. You know, perhaps there were times where the dad threw a ball with them or taught them to ride a bike because somebody must have. But those weren't very dominant memories. And he still has that stern look even at the end of wherever they are in heaven or hell mm. um, where he's just looking in. To, he's still retaining that that strong gaze that he's just yeah. had throughout the whole movie, yeah. Well, pe people are ultimately kind of who they are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, he was always trying to control everything too, sort of Mr. O'Brien. You know when there was kind of that invisible line in the um, front yard? You don't go over that line, that's so-and-so's you know, the neighbor's yard. Yeah. And he was trying to keep his boys on his side of the line. Didn't want them crossing the line. But then when he went on that sort of around the world trip to try and sell his patents and so forth, the kids went nuts. Yeah. You know, they needed his influence in a way in order not to go too crazy. You know, the mother couldn't control them. They were bringing that lizard in the house and kind of showing it to her. And she yeah. was like unsure of how to stop them. She was saying, no, don't, you know, and stuff. And they had to sort of put it at her feet and she would run. Yeah, yeah. But I, 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 I interpret that more as a happy moment, like the, the prison the prison bars are down, the guards aren't here, let's just, let's just have fun sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that. I yeah, mean, yeah. With the mum, he's having a great time. Yeah. She, she's portrayed as this amazing person. All right? And, I, and as I understand it, um, Terence Malick's mother was 99 and she saw the film. And, you know, I don't know how she felt about it. Wow. Either, but... If she was still around, you know, perhaps this whole film was made for her. So she's dead now? Or? I have no idea. Oh, okay, sure, yeah. Yeah, well, she had seen the film. It's 2011 now. Right. So I'm assuming she's still alive. But sure. I can't be sure. Yeah. Uh, but she did see this film, and um, there was somebody wrote a blog about... Uh, I can't remember the source again. I'm sorry. But, yeah, um, you're right. Basically, somebody um, wrote a, a, a blog up about how she introduced the film, and it was the first time she was seeing it. Wow. And I kind of wondered if this was sort of a love letter to his childhood, to her. Because she comes off amazing, the mum. The mum character is yeah. untouchable. Yeah. She's defending the children when Brad Pitt tries to attack them. Um, she's, I, I say Brad Pitt. And the father's you know, very, uh, very the, the villain, obviously. He's yeah. the villain, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I wondered, you know, is this his way of... Oh, definitely, yeah. Saying thank you to his mum. Yeah, no, that that's a good point. I, I did not know that. Um, is his dad still alive? Or? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be interesting to hear his opinion. Um, no, definitely. Um, the whole film is a big praise to mothers. And uh, if if this is a very autobiographical film, which I'm assuming it is, he's deeply um, grateful for his mum, deeply in love. How did you find the dinner scenes where he's saying things like... Um Pass the butter, sir. That's what you say to me. You call me sir. Don't call me dad. Call me father. You know, yeah, things yeah. like that. Just really sort of stern. Oh, yeah. Um, and Brad, uh, credit to Brad Pitt um, in that scene. And you had no idea whether, you know, you felt like there was this can of TNT that was going to explode at any second. And it doesn't. <laughs> or it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find that Brad Pitt's choices of, are all films I really enjoy. Yeah. And um, he seems to pick movies that appeal. To people. I mean, the Ocean's Eleven trilogy, he had to be a part of that. 
Fight Club was an incredible performance. You know, Twelve Monkeys. He goes the opposite seven. way. Yeah, Seven exactly. I mean, I, I know you're a big fan of Seven yeah. as well, and he's sort of trying very hard not to coast on his looks. Yeah, isn't he? Yeah, uh, especially that brave role he took in Twelve Monkeys. Um, another Terry uh, directing him, um, and yeah, that that was really the beginning of wow. This guy isn't just a pretty boy; he can act. You know, and yeah, definitely. Exactly, yeah. I think um, he's past a point where we all see him as, you know, what was previously the world's sexiest man for the title that he had. Um, And we sort of see him as sort of a more mature, young Robert Redford, you know, sort of thing. I mean, he's becoming a father. Like DiCaprio. Yeah. 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 But DiCaprio, for a long time, you only saw him as um, the Titanic. Yeah. You you saw him as that kid on top of the Titanic. Now he's just mature. (laughs) Exactly. He's playing J. Edgar Hoover next, I think. And um, the Great Gatsby is shooting at the wow. moment. Yeah. So I mean, he's choosing more adult roles as well, yeah. and um, shedding that kind of image. You know, um, I found it really something I found really tricky was um, figuring out at the beginning how many kids they had and which kid died. I just found that really weird. Yeah. I wondered if they had four kids and obviously didn't know it was going to jump around in time like that. And it took a while to kind of. Because they weren't telling you their names, you're kind of like, "Oh, I've seen that kid before. That's one of their kids." And when the kids, one of the kids drowns at the swimming pool, you don't know if it's one of their kids. Obviously, it's kind of a red herring, but it kind of just shows that like life is fragile, and that anyone can go at any time, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah, it's kind of a love letter to our mortality as well, isn't it? And it also uh, gave us a lot of frustration because of us following, you know, we just remember the faces and then we're introduced to a lot of faces that you think, okay, i got to remember this and then you don't see him you, or you just forget and then they resurface again and you're like, didn't he die? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that eerie shot of the grave. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Was that number three, number four, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, let's talk about Sean Penn a little bit. Yep. So he was hardly in it. Yeah. But, um, and not I, appreciative of the film. <laughs> no, no. Um, the other thing I found interesting, uh, I thought I would just read this little excerpt um, to do with Terence Malick films. Apparently, Adrian Brody was famously a main character in The Thin Red Line and uh, had his role reduced to almost nothing. Yeah. And in um, The New World, Christopher Plummer also, he uh, wrote Terence Malick an angry letter after seeing... Um, his part cut, kind yeah. of cut right down. And I realise, obviously, that in the new world, Christopher Plummer leaves and comes back. You know, there's a massive sort of absence. And that makes sense not to have him. But maybe there was some kind of flashbacks or, or showing what he was doing at the same time. In The Thin Red Line, apparently the film started with, like, basic training. And it went through, you know, how they became soldiers as well. Which, you know, you don't really get. And I'm guessing Adrian Brody was a big part of that. Having a sort of leading role. So it's not the first time Terence Malick has done this. No, that that's just part of his style. I think he's a guy that shoots 600% and uses 10% of that. And that's just the way filmmaking goes. And it's so sad because obviously these great performances just end up in the cutting room floor of the editors. And that's just the nature of the beast, you know. Um, I don't think Terence Malick ever writes a script and goes, I'm just going to shoot this. I really do think... He writes, he knows where he's going to go, shoots a scene and goes, oh, you know, it would be a great idea. You know, one of those type of directors and it just goes on and on, like six hour cut, eight hour cut. My God. <laughs> it feels like two films sometimes. Yeah. Like he's oh, just yeah. kind of stuck I, two scripts together. Yeah. As you said, it could have done without all that magical, you know, beginning of time sequence and you would have just had this straightforward story. It seemed like, yeah. Yeah. I suppose even Sean Penn's character to go back to it, um, even though he's had the upbringing he's had, he has still made something of himself because that seemed to be the idea that Brad Pitt kept drumming into him. Kept saying, um, you know, you got to make money and, you know, don't make choices like me and things like that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise your life passes you by. Even though we hear the, um, the mum say something like, in a voiceover, you know, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. I can't remember the exact quote, I'm sure. sorry. But, um, you know, it seemed like he also had a partner in his present day, in his big, cold, empty apartment. He had a wife or a girlfriend. I mean, it wasn't really specified. I don't think there was any shot of a ring. Let's just call her the wife. What was she doing there? Yeah. You know? It's like brief, brief shots of somebody asleep, you know? Um, Obviously, she wasn't a very big part of his 
like it's almost Terence Malick is saying, this person just isn't a big part of his life. You know, he's so withdrawn in his past that you know everything around him, or or maybe he's just woken up to this day where something the nineteen year anniversary of the nineteen, and he's just shot back in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I sort of questioned whether or not. And these demons are surfacing. Yeah. Oh, well, I questioned whether or not, as I was going to say, the um, history was repeating. Whether or not you were seeing him, he's the new kind of modern era version of his father. Mm. And this is the modern era version of his mother. And that basically we all sort of end up like our parents. Right, you know, yeah. History repeats, you know, that sort of thing. And he's got this house. He's like the successful... Mm-hmm. He's the success what his father was. And he's the version, thing, yeah. yeah, of his father's success. Yeah. But he has no children. And the house is so empty. Yeah. You know, and I mean, the whole film is about a child dying and about, you know, losing, you know, children before sort of the parents go mm. kind of thing and, and the fragility of life and mortality. And maybe this is painting us a picture without words saying that had you not had children, but just focused on what you wanted, let's say architecture, because he seems very successful. His house says that. Yep. It's, there's still an emptiness. Maybe can't you kind of everything? He surrounded himself with the shallowness of um, material. Of the, yeah, the the material world. Yeah, no, definitely. And that fits. And with it felt so empty. Whereas the house in the past, although it was um, very poor compared to his modern world, um, it just seemed so much more alive. You know, yeah. there's so much more life. The camera kept moving to show us how nonstop it was. And whereas when it went to the modern world, it was just very. Mm. You know, these straightforward still shots sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, the lighting as well told the story yeah. of how it looked like they were just walking through, like, a an apartment that was for sale or something, you know. It was just... There was nothing in there, no love. There was no photos. Um, and he's trapped in the modern world in that elevator, yeah, you know. <laughs> just going up and down. Yeah, and, all the rest of it. I wondered about, um, basically, whether or not... Yeah, that elevator, let's get towards the ending. Hmm whether that's kind of ascending him towards heaven or something. You know, there was a God element throughout the film, a religious theme. One bit where the mother points up and says, that's where God lives, pointing at the sky. And then you get that famous um, shot of, in space, they called the eye of God. I think it's a nebula mm. or something like that. Where, you know, it's just looking right at you. And that, that was the beginning of creation. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. It's definitely resonant all throughout the film. So um, how did you interpret the ending? I have no idea what's going on. I'm, I'm with Sean Penn on that. Like, most of it, I didn't know what's going on. But I think uh, Sean Penn fell into that, what a lot of audiences fell into, was, like, they they needed they needed to be grounded in, in, in you know, what exactly is Terrence Malick saying, whereas I think Terrence Malick just wanted a lot of it open-ended. You interpret it for yourself. And although intellectually you don't exactly know what's going on, you feel a connection. You feel like you understand it. And like a David Lynch film, it just doesn't make any sense most of the time, but it's the emotions you're drawing away from it, which I think is important. Um, obviously, what we just discussed, um, you know, uh, we're building a lot of interpretation, um, you know, in, in, his, in the modern world and him going back into the past. And then obviously that weird ending where you're you know you're seeing forgiveness i guess or this understanding that we go back to nature and then he wakes up all of a sudden in the city um i don't know if he's trapped in that place or you know in uh, um spiritually he can he's always there with his mother i'm I'm not sure mm. um the last shot was of the roses or was it the bridge of the bridge, oh, okay. yeah. Well, then right, it yeah. shows that little flickering light from the beginning again. Yeah. And then that's Would you count it. that as a credit sequence or is? I feel like the light was afterglow or something. Yeah, I don't sure. Really consider yeah. that the final shot. I think the bridge was the final shot. The bridge, yeah, of the movie, yeah. I kind of, um, well, I mean, you've got Brad Pitt's voiceover. He says, "Keep us, guide us till the end of time." Then the nebula or the planet explosion, whatever's happening, you know, the sun burning up. Destroys planet Earth, let's say. Before that, you kind of see some shots of it, and it looks kind of... There's nobody left living on it. <clears throat> and, um, you know, it's this frozen wasteland of a planet. So sort of the end of time, if you will, is the end of mankind. It's the end of life on that planet, which we've seen start at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Which is the only real way you can link 
that sort of early sequence with the dinosaurs and everything is the beginning of life on Earth versus the end of life on Earth. You've sure. got those kind of bookends for the film. And um, I found that sort of Sean Penn's character is sort of puzzled initially. He's following this female guide. And then the female guide leads him through that wooden door frame, which first of all I thought was um, still sort of thinking of the memories of his childhood. I thought that door frame was probably like, uh, because they'd moved away from their childhood home, I assumed that he couldn't really remember what it looked like. And this was him just remembering kind of, you know, it's, it's a desert now. It's not, it's not clear in his head what it, what it is, what it was. So I was confused initially by that door frame. Kind of going through to the other side, I guess you can look at it as well. But she leads him to that, like, little boy. And it's him, obviously. And um, kind of follows himself to this, I guess, beach afterlife kind of sequence. Mm. Which, um, I mean, you can interpret it in a lot of ways. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, everyone Four else... Words parting words? I give you back or something like that? Yeah, um, well, the mo- I'll get to that. The mother, she... She's so delighted to see the, the kid that died, mm. who I think is RL. I think that's the one that died. Um, initially, though, when Sean Penn goes through to the beach, he falls to his knees, and there's these women's feet before him, and he goes to sort of touch them. And looks like he might be going down to kiss the feet kind of thing. And initially, I guess, you jump to the conclusion that it's the mother. But then she's wearing a big green dress, Oh, right. Completely I thought different. that was the mother. I know. Like, it's yeah, yeah. kind of an easy go-to, isn't it? There's one major female character. Yeah. But then I thought, what if, because of something else that happens, what if this female is, like, representative of God? Yeah. All right. So the way I got there was um, basically that, first of all, the mother goes, she's so delighted to see the little boy. She hugs him and embraces him, and then she goes and kisses the hand. Um, which is an old woman's hand, then a young woman's hand. Oh yeah, yeah. You know? Life and death. Yeah. Yeah, I sort age, of all, yeah. yeah. I assumed as well that that was kind of a representative of God or whatever. And then the woman is behind the mum, and kind of like dancing in the in the light and the sun and everything. And then she says the you know the quote, "I give him to you. I give him my son." Oh, I see. Yeah. And yeah. so I assume that she's talking to this woman who is um you know representative of of God. Yeah. So yeah, he's sort of. He's reunited with everybody from his memories. Because everybody is the same age that he remembers them. You know, nobody's aged, he's the only one. The kids are still really young, and they both didn't die at, you know, 10 and 11. One of them was definitely 19. And uh, Brad Pitt and the mother character, Jessica Chastain, haven't aged a day. So um, it's clearly all happening for Sean Penn, for his character, Jack. Yeah. So kind of interpreting it that way, is he dead? Oh, but he wakes up. He wakes up at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he have some kind of religious experience at work that day? Does it all sort of... Is there acceptance in his brother's death? Because the mother saying, I, I she seems to be accepting. She's giving over yeah, the son. Yeah, it to, seems like a coming to terms scene. Yeah. And all that, yeah. And that really ties with the whole bridge, getting over it and sort of oh, going on to something new at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, being the final shot of the film, because that comes out of nowhere as well. Yeah. It's not as if he's driving in a car and then you see the car go across the bridge or anything. It's an isolated shot. It's on purpose. And it seems, yeah, it seems really um, important. Like, Terrence really wants you to dwell on that. And yeah. being the last shot, yeah. Well, it's kind of a way of moving on What as bridge well. is that? I have no idea. Yeah. I'm sure someone in America knows. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see those those bats or those birds yep. that are flying in that massive swarm? Yeah. Apparently that happens all the time. In in wherever it was filmed. Yeah, it was yeah. like it's a natural kind of migration or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I, I I've been reading a bunch of different sources about this film. Oh the final scene as well. I was just gonna say, Wikipedia, uh, very reliable source, as we all know. <laughs> it um it says she's so thrilled and overjoyed when um, Jack, Jack's memory resurrects the dead brother. Mm. And I thought initially, well, I don't know that that's, you know, his memory and all that sort of stuff. But she's so thankful she kisses his arm twice. But that's clearly a woman's hand, if you ask me. The old woman's hand and then the young woman's yeah. hand. Which it doesn't sort of focus on at all. Right. But 
I, I was I was just going to ask your interpretation. You definitely thought that was a woman's hand. I thought it was a woman's hand. Yeah. Uh, it kind of it's a tricky one because then it cuts after that to a shot of Sean Penn standing yeah. where, where the where the woman's hand would have been. You know, kind of within arm's reach of the mother. So a tricky one, but it looks definitely feminine to me. So. All right. Everybody, I don't think there's a question. Yeah. It's Wikipedia. So. Yeah, okay. So anyway. But yeah, I just thought I would double check. You thought also that it was a woman. Uh, I thought it, it looked like a woman's hand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, women come off pretty good in this movie. Yeah. I mean, they're a little bit victimized, but the mother is basically this goddess, you know, hovering above grass and yep. in touch with nature and, you know. Also uh, non-working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not working, yeah. <laughs> but she's... um you know, sort of floating through life in a yeah. way and until this tragedy hits, which I guess is the real start of the film. Yeah. Yeah. No, she, um, giving the sun up, you know, very kind of accepting manner. Mm. Yeah. You, um, you enjoyed the ending? Uh, no, that, that was my, I thought he dragged it on way too much. Like I was so blown away and I, I felt like I, I get it. I think I get it, you know? And then mm. at that end, I was like, I sort of don't care now. <laughs> but maybe it was exhaustion, I don't yeah, know. But It could be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you get to that point where there's just too many layers um, coming There's more into questions it. than answers. Yeah, there's more questions than answers. And you've got to go in having some kind of closure yeah. about the whole thing, but yeah. you don't at all, which is why it'll be discussed for years to come. And I feel like um, the shot of him coming out of the elevator, uh, well, out of the building at the end and being in the street, almost wish that wasn't there. Yeah. Because it feels like... The ending would be better if he didn't sort of come absolutely, back. Absolutely, absolutely. It just caused more confusion. Yeah. Um, seeing that ending, you go, okay. <laughs> you kind of accept the fact that maybe he's dead and this is his version of heaven or this is his way of seeing his family again. Yeah. It's definitely um, an internal Yeah, thing because there, no yeah. one else has aged yeah. and everything. So you kind of you come to terms with that and then having him come back, you don't see anybody else in that shot. It's just him in the street, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's, it's odd. It's as if... He's had this magical religious kind of experience, realised his mother's okay with the son's death. Yeah. His father's all cool with him and they pat each other on the back and, and he gives kind of a half smile. And then he comes back from it all and Sean Penn gives a half smile of his own right at the end before that sort of bridge shot. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if it is him, the whole thing is him just coming to terms with it all. Everything happens in his memory. Everything is, you know a big flashback of what he's thinking about. They're all the most dominant memories of his childhood. And that's what you get. I think that's dead accurate. Well, I mean, we would take an interview with Terence Malick. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think he'll tell you much. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't do interviews. But um, yeah. if <laughs> one day... Could you imagine a commentary by him on the, audio, on the DVD or something? My God. Yeah. Have there been any of them? No. He's never done one? I know he's sort of famously private. Yeah. I read that. No, he, I guarantee you, he's like Lynch. He won't do. He won't do an audio. I mean, he disappeared yet. for twenty years. I'm yeah. not sure where he's been <laughs> for that period of time. I'm sure it's been written about somewhere. Yeah. Um, well, we'll break it down with one final thing. Yeah. I wanted to tell you what the poster tagline was. Okay. And then something about the trailer. So the tagline for the poster was "Nothing stands still." Right. What do you think? It always grows, evolves. Well, it's the tree of life. Life that doesn't stop. That also goes for the um, the way Terence Malick has shot the film. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps going. Oh, gosh. Well, well all over. those tracking shots as well. You're just yeah. like, wow. I just want to say, I didn't dislike the film. Um, I was going initially in with my mum telling me that... It was the worst it film. It was the worst film she'd ever seen. And yeah. so I went in going, well, this isn't so bad. Yeah. And constantly thinking, oh, this is okay. Yeah, it sounds and like you really respected the film. Like you really wanted to crack it. You know I, what I, I mean? did. Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to investigate it further and feel like I understood it and have not wasted two and a half hours, you know. Yeah. Um, I'd hate to think I watched it when that was crap and just gave up. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure it, it like I've written about it polarizes audiences. And it's a sort of 50-50 split. You know, you love it or you hate it. But I really find myself kind of just appreciating it for what it is. Like, yeah. I, I don't think it's my favourite film. It's not really close. And um, I don't hate it. I think um, if people would ask, would you recommend this film? Like, I, I do. I, I reckon you should open up your minds to all kinds of possibilities that cinema can, where cinema can go. Um, but be respectful. Like, don't go in... 
you know, in the first five minutes, go, oh my gosh, you know, just try your best to break that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Obviously, um, it sort of, it's an endurance trial. Yeah. You can appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. But um, sort of hopefully you get your own interpretation out of it. You know, this is just our thoughts, but um, if you go ahead and watch the film and, and you respond to it in some way, you know, maybe you find the Brad Pitt, Mr. O'Brien character really relatable. It's because... interesting, if the whole film was done in Italian with subtitles, it probably would have been considered the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think um, uh, to, to have a Western film take on that sort of subject matter and make it so grandiose, like, I don't know, because it's Western, people just go, oh, you know... But if it was foreign, I don't know, it just seemed people more respectful because, oh, we're going to have to read this film, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it is what it is. It's yeah. been done. And uh, unless he does put out this six-hour director yeah. edition... You That'd know, be fantastic. Well, for some, other people will say, why He's bother? He's never done it, though, on the past. There's never been a director's cut. There's never been a director's cut of his films. We'll see what happens. Good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the bit I wanted to mention about the trailer was that there was a... A quote from Brad Pitt from the trailer that isn't in the film at all. Now, obviously, this this says that, you know, it was important enough that they used it in the publicity of the film. Yeah. But it sort of... It was on the cutting room floor at some point. I mean, among the other six hours that wound up on the cutting room floor, sure. stuff has to go. But I'll read it to you. Basically, he says, um, Someday we'll fall down and weep, and we'll understand it all, all things. Well, that really tells the story of the film was that line at all in the movie no wow okay but it was in the trailer just as a voiceover from brad pitt yeah over you know shots of the film so how do you read that um don't intellectualize the film you won't understand it at this point in time at this point in time and someday everything will just make sense so maybe terence malick you know in his age and his wisdom has really projected his understanding of life like like all orchards they really put themselves into the film and uh, you know as you know being a late 20s guy watching that i did not understand the themes but sonic deep inside did and i, I felt an emotional connection sure um yeah well then you relate to them because they're sort of oppressed by this brad pitt character yeah um which he played really well as i've said and you sort of think, you know, what's going to happen that's going to free them yeah. from this? You know, you, you feel it yourself, so you empathise, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, with the characters. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to wrap it up this week. That was my choice to watch The Tree of Life. Yep. And um, <laughs> no, mine's I'm, picking next week's choice. I'm picking Drive, uh, Drive um, starring Ryan Gossing. Gosling, sorry. He's <laughs> <laughs> kind of a big deal at the moment. Yeah, he's an up-and-comer. Um, modern neo-noir film. Um, obviously, we won't be going into a huge discussion. like Tree of, I think Tree of Life merits this sort of discussion because it's such a, such a deep film. And I think it's important that we owe it as viewers to at least talk about interpretations or emotional um, interpretations. But yeah. So if you um, if you want, you can try and watch uh, Drive within the next week. We'll try and put up another podcast in a week's time from yep. this one, and um, you know you'll enjoy the discussion more hopefully if you've seen the film. Yeah, become a fan on Facebook. Suggest a film. Uh, comment. Um, subscribe. Um, if there's anything you guys wish us to bring up, uh, wish for us to bring up in the next episode, just please let us know. Yeah, we'd enjoy some feedback about this. And um, yeah, as Lloyd said, if you guys think there's a film we should see and talk about, then um, yeah, suggest it to us on the wall on Facebook. All right. All the best. Adios. <laughs>